0: I'd like to thank my patrons over on Patreon for supporting this and every episode of this podcast. Patrons of this show get access to exclusive content on the Patreon page, bonus hotshot episodes, monthly live Q&A sessions with me, Just Grow Something merchandise, and more. But above all, they get my undying gratitude for helping make this podcast possible and helping me reach for bigger goals like stipends for guests, improved software and equipment, bonus content, and more. If you'd like to support the show by becoming a patron and also receive my undying gratitude, head over to patreon.com slash just grow something or use the link in the show notes. Hey, I'm Karen and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering, and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment, should just grow something. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. Are you feeling a bit overwhelmed by your summer garden? Has your gardening season been difficult battling pests and weeds and diseases to get even a small harvest? Or has it been super productive and fruitful? But maybe you're having difficulty at this point keeping up with all the tasks that need to be done or maybe all the preserving on your to-do list. I know my to-do list is forever long. The overwhelm you may feel in the garden is a good indication that you've pushed yourself pretty far in terms of your commitment to your garden, the hard work you've put in, and maybe you're having difficulty managing the stress that hits in the middle of the heaviest part of the season when it seems like everything needs to be done at once and nothing is cooperating. I completely understand. Try to remember that unless you're relying on your garden for all of your family's sustenance, it's okay to have those failures in the garden. It's supposed to be something you enjoy. And once you get through those few weeks of frustration and exhaustion, hopefully you'll be able to look back and see everything you gained from that garden and happily be able to move forward into the cooler fall season with your head held high. Now, what if your garden was your job? What if it was the way you fed your family, both figuratively and literally, how you paid the bills? What if your garden was a family legacy passed on to you or one you wanted to pass on to your children? What if paying your mortgage or your rent relied on how well you did in the garden? Feels a little bit more stressful, doesn't it? And that's the life of a farmer. The people who put the food on our tables and in our grocery stores contend with this stress on this level every single season. As consumers, we don't see it. But stop for a minute and think about the number of items on the grocery store shelves. Think about the variety of foods we get to choose from, whether it's a fruit or a vegetable, a bean or a grain, a meat or an egg, a dairy product or a boxed good. Every single item on those shelves has a component that needed to be grown and cared for by somebody. And those somebodies are burning out. Mental health issues among farmers have been obvious for a while. There is a very high suicide rate amongst those in the agricultural sector worldwide. A 2017 study by the University of Iowa researchers found the suicide rate among farmers and ranchers was three and a half times that of the general population on average. And a study as recent as January of 2020 by the CDC found that suicide rates among farmers had increased by 40 percent in the last two decades. Record low commodity prices, increasing farm debt, weather issues, reduced exports, these are all causing farmers to feel even more pressure than before. And these stressors alone aren't the cause for the suicides, but they're the final straw. When your entire identity is rolled up in your occupation and that's disrupted, it can feel like the world is crashing down. And if you're already suffering from burnout after years and years of the stress of farming, it can end very, very badly. Studies on farmer burnout have been conducted in Switzerland, the U.S., Finland, France, and Canada, all with similar results. As many as 44% of farmers in those studies were shown to be ineffective, overwhelmed, or disengaged from their work. And as many as 12% were classified in the burnout profile. So what is burnout exactly? Burnout is included in the International Classification of Diseases by the World Health Organization, but it's listed as an occupational phenomenon. It's not classified as a medical condition. It's considered a reason someone would contact health services, but not classified as an illness. It's defined as a syndrome resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. It is characterized by three dimensions, feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of a negativism or cynicism related to one's job, and reduced professional efficacy. Burnout refers specifically to phenomena in a occupational context and should not be applied to describe experiences in other areas of life. But what if your occupation is your entire life? See, burnout is different than periodic stress, overwhelm, or fatigue. We all have that. It can come from our jobs, our kids, our schedule, our garden, (laughs) but it's usually temporary. And we manage that the best we can. We get through it and we come out the other side. Burnout is a whole other animal. According to helpguide.org, burnout is a state of emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion caused by excessive and prolonged stress. It occurs when you feel overwhelmed, emotionally drained, and unable to meet constant demands. And as the stress continues, you begin to lose the interest and motivation that led you to take on a certain role in the first place. And again, this is referring to a work situation. But for farmers, it's both a work situation and a lifestyle situation. Most family farms are just that. It's where they live. It's where they raise their families. It's what everybody in the family does, or at least helps with at some point or another. It's often all-encompassing. Farmers during planting or harvesting season or during a birthing season of livestock are known to skip family commitments like birthdays, weddings, and funerals because the weather or the crop or the animal has dictated the schedule. I'll give you a perfect example that hits very close to home. I will be missing my grandmother's memorial next month because it's during the busiest part of our season. We make our money for the entire year during a very short window of time. If I'm not working and bringing items to market and getting them sold, we don't pay the mortgage in the winter. And we are a micro-sized farm. Imagine having an operating line of credit in the hundreds of thousands or more that you've drawn on to buy seed, pay for equipment repair, purchase fertilizers, pay employees, etc., and then having a family member pass away during the harvest period after a year of drought or disease or plague. These farmers don't have a choice but to be in the field, and everything takes a back seat, to include family. It's this type of stress that causes farmers to burn out. It's 10, 12. 15, 18 hours in a combine in the field, leaving before dawn and working through the night to bring in a harvest, hoping it's enough to pay that note at the end of the season, and not seeing your spouse or your kids for days on end. It's milking cows at 3:30 a.m., birthing calves throughout the day, milking again in the afternoon, and still trying to make it to your kid's little league game, only to have a cow with a breech birth require all your attention until the middle of the night. It's growing acres and acres of melons, negotiating a price with a broker at the beginning of the season, only to find that you've been hit with a disease and only half the harvest made it, and then being told the quality is less than ideal and you'll have to take a lower price. It's growing acres of asparagus for three years, getting ready for your first big harvest, only to be hit with a drought and water restrictions, and being forced to till that crop under, to make way for something that doesn't use as much water, sending those three years of work right down the drain. I can give you countless stories, and they're all true, and they happen all the time. Of course, there are great years when everything goes exactly as planned. The farmer gets the crop in on time, the yield is up, the costs are down, the note gets paid, and you end the year on a high note. But that work and that stress is still there. And this goes for smaller producers, too. The pressure doesn't change with the size of the operation. The note just might be a little smaller, but so are the margins and the profits. It's all the same. Burnout is the result of unrelenting stress. And this is different than having too much stress. Stress in general is about having too many pressures that demand too much of you physically and mentally. But people who are stressed out can usually still imagine that if they can just get everything under control, they'll feel better. Burnout, on the other hand, is about feeling empty, mentally exhausted, totally unmotivated, and basically just not caring anymore. If a farmer doesn't see any hope of a positive change in their situation, they will burn out. And then it's a vicious cycle. Burnout reduces your productivity, it saps your energy, you feel hopeless, you become increasingly cynical and resentful, and you just want to give up. Burnout can also cause long-term changes to your body that make you vulnerable to illnesses like colds and flu. So even though burnout isn't classified as a medical illness, it can certainly lead to one. So what can be done? What is leading to this burnout and how can it be fixed? Of course, you get the articles from farm organizations and health and wellness institutes that recommend things like getting more sleep, rotating shifts or duties, general ideas of self care or taking breaks. And there are general recommendations that if a farmer is feeling depressed or suicidal, they should seek help. And yes, these are all great suggestions. And families and farmers need to watch out for each other. It's Not so easy to see these signs in yourself and then actively go and seek help. It's usually loved ones who see the signs first and need to step in. Mental health awareness is important in all facets of our society, and farmers need help in understanding that they aren't alone and the feelings of hopelessness are not normal. But this is just treating or managing the signs of the problem. What about getting to the actual root of the problem? What is so wrong with our food system that even though farmers are supplying all the food we eat, they can't make enough to live without sacrificing their physical and mental well-being and still barely scrape by? In the U.S., we're obsessed with cheap food. Well, cheap everything, but let's stick with food. We spend so little on our food, the very thing that gives us sustenance in order to be able to have more money for items we want that may not be necessities. In fact, I've seen budgeting guidance that says exactly that. If you want to increase your food budget, you have to take it from your want budget. According to the USDA's Economic Research Service, in 2020, Americans spent an average of 8.6% of their total disposable income on food. That includes at home and away from home. And 2020 was a year with very high increases in the costs of food due to disruptions in the supply chain from COVID-19. But retail food prices are less volatile than farm prices. According to that same report from the ERS, the average farm price of the largest field crops in the U.S., and that's corn, wheat, and soybean, regularly rises or falls by more than 10% from year to year. But these price swings have relatively small impacts on food prices. What this means, the commodity prices are affecting farmers as much as 10 times the way it's affecting the consumer. In fact, as far back as 2015, U.S. consumers have spent the least on food out of every country in the entire world. Now, part of that is because we have a higher income level than many countries, and part of that is because our priorities often lie elsewhere. We like cheap food because it allows us to buy a bigger car, or TV, or the newest cell phone, or whatever. And many of the richest countries in the world are following suit right behind us. And this all comes at a cost to the farmer. But what else is there? Part of it is the supply chain. Our food moves so far from its source nowadays that there are many, many hands in the pot. That means the apples that you buy in the store for 2 dollars a pound were grown, picked, brokered, shipped, stored, distributed, and sold before you get them home. And everyone along the way had to get paid for their part, which means of the 2 dollars per pound you paid, the farmer got less than 35 cents. Combine that with the trend of people eating out more, and the farmer gets even less than that. Those sane apples that maybe are now becoming an apple pie now have to go through the restaurant and the waiter needs to be paid and the chef needs to be paid, and there are additional taxes. So now the farmer only gets 14 cents for that pound of apples. Now, I have no idea how much on a large scale a pound of apples costs to produce, but of course. That $0.14 or that $0.35 isn't profit. That's just what they got paid. And the smaller producers who can manage to sell direct to their local markets or stay regional so they can keep more of their profits are constantly being pushed out by the big guys. Corporate entities that buy up small producers and merge them all together into one business can afford to take losses here and there and still come out okay. They are dealing with commodities of scale. So if they're only making, say, 10 cents for that pound of apples, they can leverage that by volume. They make it so the smaller producers have less leverage to negotiate prices, even with regional brokers. This also means the big agribusiness faces less competition and can therefore garner a larger share of the profit. Less and less of our food dollars are actually going to the people who are growing it, even though they're doing the same amount of work. So what can we do as consumers? First of all, buy as locally as you can. If you're looking for fruits and veggies or proteins, go to your farmer's market, go to a co-op, join a CSA, go straight to the dairy. I know it's a little bit more effort, and it may be a little bit more expensive, but it's worth it to keep your local farmers in business. Next, look for locally grown items in your store. Buying items from a regional co-op keeps more of that money in the farmer's hands. If you're buying processed foods or oils, look for items grown and produced in your country. Research the companies you buy from and see where they source their grains and their ingredients and prioritize those that are purchasing from your own farmers rather than sourcing from another continent because their labor is cheaper. That in turn will eventually help those countries and those farmers be able to garner a much more livable wage. The subject is deep and it's hard and there are no quick answers. But if we don't do something soon, our farmers are going to be handing their land and their operations over to corporate conglomerates because they just can't make a living anymore. And when your identity is tied to your occupation, that can be a death sentence. I hope the next time that you go to the grocery, you think a little bit about what it is that you're purchasing and maybe where that food came from. We've been conditioned, in the U.S. at least, to look at the sticker price before we look at the quality or the value or the source. And I think it's time to change that. Thanks for listening today. I hope you have a fabulous weekend in your garden. I will link to all of these sources, the resources that I used for today's episode in the show notes. So you can take a little bit of a look about this burnout phenomenon and I will see you back here next week for another garden talk Tuesday episode. You've just listened to another episode of the just grow something podcast. Don't forget to download the episode after you've listened, rate and review us in your podcast player if that's an option, and follow us on Instagram at Just Podcast. All these things help gardeners like you find me and hopefully join the Just Grow Something family. Don't forget to send in those gardening questions through a voice message at the link in the show notes or via email to grow at JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden, and I will talk to you again soon. You've heard me talk about First Saturday Lime, the environmentally friendly alternative to pesticides that we use on our farm. We use it everywhere, in the gardens, in the chicken coops, in the pig pastures, and around the outside of our home. First Saturday Lime created a non-caustic formula that is tough on bugs, but totally safe for humans and pets. And now, as a listener of the Just Grow Something podcast, First Saturday Lime can be your favorite natural pest control, too. You can save 20% off your first order by using the code Just Grow at checkout at firstsaturdaylime.com. It's a super strong formula derived from eco-friendly products, and it's so effective, I have a 20-pound bag delivered every month to use on the first Saturday. Go to firstsaturdaylime.com and use code JUSTGROW for 20% off your first order.